Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, October the 25th, 2022. It is currently 9.31 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, how are you doing this evening? How, how, how was your day? Was it spiritually beneficial, edifying? Was it a good day spiritually or was it a bad day? If you if you started your day with us in our live broadcast on our today's Focus podcast, we talked about frustration. <laughs> and then my day turned frustrating. Yeah. So isn't that the way it works? Hey, we're going to talk about frustration and how to handle it biblically. And then it's almost like, okay, oh, you want to talk about frustration? Here's a little bit of frustration. 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 Now let's see if you will handle that frustration like you talked about on your own podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to report Nah, not, no, not, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I could say it was 50% successful. I, I guess I could try to say, but no, I mean, it, it, I, I didn't hand, handle things as spiritually as I should have. I didn't follow Matthew chapter 16. So if you didn't hear that broadcast, I mean, you want to go back and listen to it. Today's focus on frustration. I, I think, I think it's, uh, worth your time. And, uh, well, obviously I need to listen to what I talked about more because even though I spoke it, I didn't learn it. All right. I did, even though I heard it, I did not learn it. I, I mean, I spoke it. So then I was hearing it, but I spoke it, I heard it, but I did not learn it. Or, or I guess what we can always say is no matter how much we hear and no matter how much we learn as Christians, there's one thing that will always remain true of us. We're still sinners and we still have a sinful nature. So, yeah, I guess so. But we're not here to talk about that. Here's what happened this evening. I was doing like, I don't know, multiple things. I was watching basketball. I was watching hockey. I was watching multiple things. I was trying to listen to little music. I was trying to do reading. I was just trying to do multiple things. And in the middle of all of that, I saw a notification show up on my iPad that said Saddleback Church. And I'm like, oh, Saddleback. Remember Rick Warren? And then he stepped down. And then what, Andy Wood, I think is his name, who took over. And we followed a little bit of that story and some of the controversy. And, and we talked about that. We reviewed Rick Warren's last sermon. Remember that? Yeah, okay, okay. I'm just, I'm speaking as if everyone listening to me this evening are, are longtime listeners. But, but we reviewed Rick Warren's last sermon. And I, and, and I said I was going to review maybe Andy Wood's first sermon. I don't, did we do that? I think we did. Maybe we did. Maybe, uh, maybe I forgot to do that. Uh, but because, and, and if I forgot, it's all of you. It, I blame the listeners. You're supposed to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. That's it. So it's your fault. All right. But I saw Saddleback Church and I'm, oh, wait, what's, why is Saddleback Church in the news? I wonder what's going on. And then I see this headline. Saddleback Church, Saddleback Church leader's wife, Stacy Wood, serving as teaching pastor despite SBC doctrine. Ah, okay. Now, if you know SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, their doctrines say a woman, a woman can't be a pastor. She can't be teaching men. I mean, I, I don't have their exact language there, but that's pretty much the Southern Baptist doctrine is against women being pastors. 
But, but we already knew this was coming because at their previous church, I believe she served as a teaching pastor as well. And now, well, she's carrying on those duties at Saddleback. So it's not a, it's not a new revelation. We knew this was coming. We talked about it when we talked about the transition that was going to happen with Rick Warren stepping down. And you can go back and find those podcasts. So I'm like, okay, so why is this news? Do they have any, any new thing to offer? So here's the story. Saddleback Church identifies the wife of its new lead pastor as a teaching pastor, even though the influential megachurch denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, restricts the office of pastor to men and its official statement of beliefs. So here's a church, a part of a denomination, who's flat out rebelling against the denomination's teaching. Now, look, it's one thing to disagree, but if you're in a denomination and you realize you disagree with that denomination, then just remove yourself from the denomination, say we're no longer a part of it, we no longer want to be affiliated with you, we're not involved, whatever, however you have to break the tie, uh, the connection, however you have to break your, your connection to them, do that, officially announce it, and then declare yourself either an independent church or go join a different denomination. But to just basically say, I we know the doctrine of the SBC, but we're going to flaunt it, that we're not going to follow it, to me, that, that doesn't appear spiritual to me. Now, maybe they're not flaunting it. Maybe, maybe they've tried to, to remove themselves as being identified with the Southern Baptist Convention. But you think it, they can make it very, 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 very public. Hey, we do not wish to be associated with the Southern Baptist Convention. They could place it on the Saddleback Church website. I haven't checked it, but I doubt there's a statement there saying we no longer are connected with the Southern Baptist Convention. So why I, to me, that, that calls into question, well, once again, it just demonstrates like everyone talks about all the different ways in which churches need to be governed and you need a denomination for accountability. Look, churches are going to do, here's the reality. Churches are going to do whatever they want to do in the, in the non-Catholic Protestant world. That's, they're just going to do whatever they want to do. And if they don't like the denomination, they'll just flaunt it in its face or they'll just leave or they'll start, a, start another denomination. And the same thing happens in the local church. People will stay in your church and listen to you until they don't listen to you anymore, until they disagree. And then they'll go somewhere else to another church or they'll just start another church. It's, it's one of the major issues. But so I just, my issue here is not even so much because they have a, a, a woman as a teaching pastor. The issue is they're just flat out flaunting it that, hey, we're not going to follow the rules. And then they have a picture there of Stacy Wood. And, and uh, I guess maybe this is a screenshot. It says Stacy Wood, teaching pastor. It says Stacy Wood of Saddleback Church preaches a sermon. And uh, it says in October 2022, the church labeled Wood as teaching pastor, although the Southern Baptist Convention's 2000 Baptist Faith and Message prohibits females uh, from holding the office of pastor. Right. So, I mean, they, they, they put it, it appears on the screen. That's how they identified her as teaching pastor. That's clearly trying to make a statement. Pastor Andy Wood, who recently succeeded retiring pastor and bestselling author Rick Warren at Saddleback, lists his wife as a pastor in her biography on the prominent California megachurch's website. Pastor Andy and Stacy Wood started their ministry in California as church planners in the Bay Area, uh, states the online leadership entry accessed by the Christian Post on Tuesday morning. They began Echo Church in 2009 and eventually became one of the fastest growing churches in the area. 
Earlier this month, the month of October 2022, Stacey Wood preached a sermon titled The Courage to Slow Down at the Lake Forest, uh, Lake Forest-based church being identified as a teaching pastor. Now, again, we could you could get into why are they doing this? Why what, what's the Southern Baptist doing? Why I mean, they I think they announced, was it like two years ago they were going to investigate or a year? I don't know how long ago. I mean, how long does it take? They they are listing her as a pastor. Either you're either the Southern Baptist needs to change their doctrinal statement, or they need to remove Saddleback from being associated with Southern Baptists, or Stacy and Andy Wood just needs to step up and go, hey, this church is no longer Southern Baptist. I mean, I don't know why. What does it take? I mean, I don't, I don't, are, what are they doing? Are they still, I mean, are they, are they going all the way back and investigating the Roswell UFO crash? I mean, what in the world? Just, just make a decision and do something. But, but I'm not really here to talk about that, right? Because, all that's been discussed and everyone's going to debate that and everyone's going to argue about that on their podcast and okay, whatever. We're going to take a different route. Let's review the sermon. Right? To me, that's more, that to me, that's more interesting, right? She's a teaching pastor, right? Whatever you're, I obviously don't believe a woman can be a pastor according to the Bible, but okay, she's a teaching pastor. Well, then let's just listen to her sermon and critique the sermon in a biblical fair way. Obviously, I disagree that she should be a pastor, but if she's going to stand there and preach the word of God, here's my hope. Even if I may disagree, my hope is that the Bible will be handled in a biblically sound way, that the the Bible will be taught in truth, and that, uh, you know, God's word will be preached. Even though I may not like it, I I I will still be happy if God's word is preached in a truthful, thorough, in-depth way. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, we can sit there and focus on she's a woman. And again, I disagree with that. But I'm just saying, I mean, if she stands up and takes the word of God and expounds it and preaches it in truth and accuracy, then, then I'll at least be happy about that because the people there heard the word of God preached. Now, you think I'm saying that in a sarcastic manner, but I don't, I, I'm not saying it in a sarcastic manner because I... I I don't know what was preached because I don't review the sermons first when I do these broadcasts. I like to listen to it in real time. So when I saw this tonight, I'm like, okay, on my agenda tonight, listen to Stacy Wood preach. Then I thought, why do that later? Let's just do it now and let's do it during a live broadcast. So wherever you may be this evening, maybe you're getting ready for bed. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you live, but wherever you are, whatever you're doing, let's grab a Bible. I got something to drink. Grab something to drink. Maybe a pencil. Yeah, a notebook. And let's listen to Stacy Wood preach a sermon that is entitled The Courage to Slow Down. The Courage to Slow Down. That it could be a topical method. A topical method. A topical message. It could be a devotional type message. We'll see. We'll just see, and, I, and I'm not going to focus on the fact that I don't believe she should be a pastor. I'm just going to focus on, here's a person holding a Bible. Well, maybe she's not holding a Bible. They probably have all the scriptures on the screen. Okay, but let's just, she's standing, well, not really behind a pulpit, next to a podium. Okay, she's standing on a stage, maybe not a Bible, but she's standing there, and she's going to at least preach 
hopefully, from the Word of God, and let's hear what she has to say. So this is Stacy Woods, Saddleback Church. Some, I don't know which, uh, I don't know what day it was in October, uh, and uh, here we go. I have skipped uh, some of the music. I have skipped, uh, I think it was the opening prayer. I think it was by her husband. I think it was by her husband, maybe the worship director. And I think he's getting ready to now welcome her to the stage, right? Because, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's, I, I just find it funny because it's just odd to me that like, hey, everyone, well, no, I, I, well, I guess they do that in conferences as well. How everyone, they give a big glowing introduction for the conference speaker. This one has written five books, graduated from this school with five degrees, has debated people around the country, can be heard on his radio program. And everybody's like, yay. Okay. But, you know, we could talk about the celebrity culture within the, the church complains about the celebrity culture, and then they do everything they can to build it and promote it. But they're going to kind of do that kind of thing. Let's welcome her to the stage. I don't know if they applaud, but when I was just getting the audio ready, I had to skip it past the music, and I at least heard a little bit of that. So I think we have it queued up. Um, I, I have amplified this majorly because the volume was way low. If I if it's too loud and you're listening to me live on the Spreaker app, just say, hey, it's too loud. Uh, and uh, if it's not loud enough, let me know. But uh, if, if nobody says anything, I'm just going to try to, I'll mess with the volume as we're listening to the beginning. Here we go. Now let's give Stacy a warm saddleback welcome as she comes to the stage for the message. Hey, 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 saddleback church. I'm going to start doing that on Sundays. I'm going to have someone stand behind the pulpit all the way from Buffalo Gap, Texas. It's Trevor. Okay, no, okay, I'm sorry. They, they didn't do it that way, but okay. All right. But some people look, Hiles Anderson, they do that for their chapel services. Have you ever heard of Hiles Anderson Bible College? They go crazy. The, the, the students go crazy for whoever is speaking. I don't know. Maybe it's no big deal. Maybe it's a big deal. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I have, I, I, I try to not be too critical, but it, whatever. I, it just feels like that celebrity kind of idea. But all right, all right. Hey, 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 saddle back. All right, there she goes. She's ready to go. Here we go. Oh, wow. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Wow, it is so great to be here with you today. I want to give a warm welcome to those of you at our campuses, those of you joining us online and our online Saddleback family. We're so glad that you're with us today. And you are jumping into this third week of a message series that we're in called Uncommon Courage. And we've been looking at how courage is sometimes that ingredient in life that we need to step into what God has for us. And sometimes it's that very ingredient that's missing and it keeps us in these cycles of frustration and disappointment with ourselves because we know what we want to do, but we just don't quite have the courage to step into it. Andy gave us a definition for courage and it's, he said that courage is the ability to make the hard right choice, even at great personal cost. And so the thing to consider is that we are all coming from different walks of life and we're all in different seasons of life, but we all have courage moments throughout our week, moments that we need to lean into courage. 
And so I was thinking about the singles in the room and our students in the room. And maybe that hard right decision for you is to choose to live a life of purity, a life that has a different moral standard than the rest of the world around you. Okay, so courage. That's kind of an interesting way to use it. So to all the singles in the room, it takes courage to pursue purity. I wonder if it's a lack of courage that causes people not to pursue purity. So I'm just trying to think of this theologically and biblically. All right, so here's someone like, man, I'm struggling with purity. Okay, you need courage. Courage is the answer to purity. The reason there's a lack of purity in the life of believers is because they lack courage. Would you diagnose the problem as a lack of courage? That's just interesting. I'm trying to think about, like, does the, what, does the Bible say a lot about courage? We need courage. Courage, I guess, I think, I think the definition they get was something like doing the right thing, even at great personal expense or great personal cost. That's interesting. Courage is the reason... Is the, is the reason for a lack of purity. I mean, that's a roundabout way of what they're saying. It takes courage to pursue purity. Doesn't it take self-sacrifice? Doesn't, doesn't it take denying self and dying to self? I just, I just see, I just don't know if courage is the issue. I'm trying to think back when I was a, a teenager, even in my life as an adult, purity, moral purity, dealing with obviously sexu- sexuality. Is it, is it the issue cu- courage? I don't know. You, you, you can just kind of an interesting approach to that subject. I, I guess I never looked at it that way. I have to give it more thought. Let, let's, I mean, but let's give her time to, well, take this sermon to which, wherever she's going to take it. But that's going to cost you. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you the feeling of isolation from groups of people that just don't understand why you're choosing to live a way that they're not choosing to live. For some of you, you're really invested in your careers and it's so intense and there's so much coming at you and your hard right choice is to draw some boundaries in your life, some healthy work-life boundaries, but it might cost you. It might cost you your promotion. It might cost you the fact that people will misunderstand you and why you're choosing to live this way. It might cost you. For me, I'm a mom. I have three kids. And I tell you what, just parenting my kids is a call for courage in my life. I don't know about you guys, but like, for example, just like some everyday kind of courage. Like I know that the hard right choice is to make my kids participate in the household jobs. Like you can empty the dishwasher, you can take out the trash, but I also know it's going to cost me. If I, when I say that, it's going to be like, oh man, I'm going to get that's just interesting. I've never heard courage described. It takes courage to ask my kids to unload the dishwasher. It, it requires courage to ask my kids to participate in the household duties. I don't think I've ever heard courage described in that way. Like, so everything required, if you, your work life Drawing that line, that requires courage, purity, courage to get your kids to clean up the house, courage. <sighs> That's an interesting, have I misunderstood courage my whole life? 
I've always understood courage is, is to do that which you're like afraid to do, what you're scared to do, that, that because there's going to be pain or danger. Like, I, I, I've never seen courage something like something that simple, but that's courage. So it sounds like that almost everything we engage in life requires courage, and the answer to the Christian life is more courage. We get more courage, we're more successful in our Christian life. We're pure, we have a proper balance between work and life, and we can get our kids, we can, we'll be willing to challenge our kids and parent the right way. All right. Okay, let, let's see where this goes. Some pushback on that. I'm going to get some, some complaining. And, and so I have to like pull up some courage from deep down inside of me to even want to cross that battle and say, okay, this is what we're doing. You sleep here and you eat here and you're going to contribute here even if you don't want to. It's a call for courage. And we all have these minute, these moments. They're small moments and they're big moments. And we need courage to step into that, whatever God wants for us. So, so whatever God wants for us, what, what sometimes stops us from stepping into whatever God wants for us, I'm assuming you're speaking of obedience, and we have to have courage to obey. And so the lack of courage leads to a lack of obedience. All right, I'm trying to... All right, so, so I guess the thesis here is we must have courage if we're going to step into what God has for us. And a lack of courage will keep us from that. The thesis is we need courage. Now, I guess we're either going to be told how to obtain said courage, how to keep said courage, because obviously this seems to be the key to the Christian life, or a major key to the Christian life is the presence of courage. All right, let's, let's see how she takes kind of her thesis and, and what, how she's going to approach it. Today, we are looking at a different kind of courage. The last few weeks, we've been talking about this courage to step into what God has for us. But today, the kind of courage that we're looking at is something that's been really important for me. In okay, so a different kind of courage. So I guess you've got the courage to, to, to step into what God has for you, but now we're going to have a different one today. All right? It seems like that everything, maybe that was just kind of reviewing the series. All right, so what's the new kind of courage? Did you know there were different kinds of courage? I, I, I don't know if I knew this either, but all right, let, let's, let's see where this is going to go. This season, and it's a type of courage that I feel like will be so beneficial for all of us because we, we live in this culture that causes us to speed up and to go faster. And sometimes we need some courage to slow down. But before we get into that. Okay. We need a courage to slow down. The, the culture moves quickly. So we now need a courage to slow down. We need a courage to step into what God has for us. And we need a courage to slow down. I don't know if I've ever used the word courage in this particular way. So just start thinking about it. If you, if you were going to preach a sermon or if you were teaching a Sunday school lesson, you teaching a devotional small group, and you're like, guys, here's the thing. We need courage to slow down. What passage of scripture would you go to that you felt would teach the idea that we need courage to slow down? Oh, I, I, would, I wish I had a bunch of people in front of me because I, I would wait until everyone gave me an answer. What passage would you go to? Courage to slow down. 
Oh, I'm, 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 oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated where this is going to go. I'm fascinated where this, I wonder where this, I'm trying to think. It's probably going to end up, I'm assuming an Old Testament story. I, I can't see it. It's got to be a, an Old Testament story. I guess it could be a gospel account where you have like a kind of a, a narrative where of telling you what happened. It's either got to be an Old Testament. I don't see it being an epistle. I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's got to be, it's got, they got to pull from a story. They got to pull from a story. All right, so here we go. I want to tell you a quick story about our family. So a couple summers ago, we took a family vacation to Lake Tahoe in Northern California. It's a beautiful place. And we decided one day that we were going to go hiking. So we were hiking this trail called Eagle Lake Trail. I think we have a picture that's going to pop on the screen of our family. And the way that this trail works is you start up at the top and then you hike all the way down to the beach at the lake. And there's this gorgeous beach down there and we were just playing and we're having fun. And then the boys noticed that there are these huge boulders off to the side and people are climbing on these boulders. You can see a picture of Sammy there on the rock and he is climbing over this boulder to get to this place where people are jumping off the rocks into the lake. So they wanted to do this and Karis and I are just sitting on the beach watching because she's about six years old at the time. But then she's like, mom, I want to do that. I was like, all right. So we start getting out there. But then she looks at me and she goes, Mom, I didn't know I needed my courage for this. And I got to go back and get it. So we, we head back to the beach and we're just sitting there. We're playing. She's having a good time. What I didn't know is that she was literally gathering her courage while she was sitting there on the beach. And a few min- minutes later, she said, okay, I got my courage. Let's go. And so the two of us head back to the rocks and she is bouldering over these rocks. Very Okay, cute story. Is that describing the courage of slowing down? Oh, okay, I guess. Because instead of rushing into it, she stopped to gather her courage. Is that, so it takes courage to slow down to gather your courage. I'm just trying to figure out how the story fits the kind of the thesis where this is going. Okay, let, let, let's see how she weaves this into the, the sermon. Precariously, and she does it. And, and she gets back out there to her dad. And you can see that they're, they're having such a great time just jumping off these rocks into the water. And, and Andy told me when she got there, she said, Dad, I'm sorry it took me so long. I had to go back and get my courage. And I love that story because I feel like it just, man, it captures what we go through. That we, that we get out there in life and we realize suddenly that this is requiring more of me than what I anticipated. And maybe the, the right choice is instead of just pushing harder, maybe we need to go back and get some courage. Maybe. So we, so is, okay. So we need courage to slow down. And we need to slow down to get courage. I, I, I'm trying to follow. I'm trying to follow the 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 thought process here. I'm trying to follow it. Okay. Or is this is this a sermon not so much about courage as just about slowing down? Is it really is this really a sermon about courage, or is it about we need to slow down in order to obtain courage? 
Now, she kind of connected it with courage to slow down, but now it sounds like we need to learn to slow down in order to gather courage because we will face things in life that require more of us than we really have, so we need the courage to press forward. All right, I'm, I'm trying to follow the The, the philosophy here, the perspective here, the ideology here, the, the, the concept here. Maybe we need to slow this thing down. Because so often we, we know that we want whatever it is on the other side of that 20 seconds of courage. And so we need to have the hard conversation or we need to make the difficult decision. But for whatever reason, courage can be hard to come by. And sometimes the right step is not to push harder but to slow down. Oftentimes it's our lack of courage that leaves us just feeling frustrated and stuck in these cycles. And we end up, we end up just stuck on the beach instead of getting out there to conquer the rocks because we just never take the courage with us. So the last few weeks we've been looking at the story of Joshua in the Bible. And there have been so many moments where courage was needed. Okay, so I figured it was going to go Old Testament. Now, this is typically the hermeneutic. Find an Old Testament story, right? And then make it about us, okay? Make it about us. All right, so we're going to go to Joshua, and Joshua is going to tell us, I guess, I, I'm assuming she's going to stay in Joshua. Maybe she's going to depart from that. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if she's going to stay with Joshua, if she's going to depart from that. Let's see where she goes. In this story... Like, for example, Joshua is taking over leadership for this legendary leader, Moses. And that's a call for courage. And then last week, we talked about how the priest had to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and walk straight out in the Jordan River at flood stage. And that was a call for courage. And then the Israelites are all going to have to cross over into the promised land. And they've got war in front of them. And there's enemies and obstacles. And that's a call for courage. So interesting, are these stories that demonstrate the call to courage, or are these stories that call to faith? Are they stories about courage or the stories about faith? And how do we relate courage and faith? All right, that, that, just 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 a thought, just a thought. All right, I'm 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 just I'm trying to process it, trying to give this a fair thinking and and a fair analysis here, and trying to get you to think about it as well. So many calls for people to step out into courage, but you know sometimes courage looks different than stepping out. Sometimes courage can be waiting in the present moment. Andy said it this way. He said that sometimes courage looks like working, but sometimes it looks like waiting. And sometimes God gives us the courage to get going, but sometimes we need to have courage to start slowing. All right, now, okay, so God gives us the courage. So God gives us, does he give us, so if he just gives us the courage, then we don't have to do anything, right? Uh, here's the situation. God will just give me the courage. So God just grants the courage. So is this kind of like a, a monergistic view on courage? God will just grant you the courage or do I have to go get it? 
Or do I have to wait for God to, hey, God, I need courage. Okay, you're going to make me wait three days. Okay, then three days I get the courage. Like, I, like I'm trying to, I, 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 and the reason I do this and I ask these questions, some people think I'm being nitpicky and I'm being ridiculous. No, I do this because I challenge the idea that Christians say all kinds of things. We've been talking about it in our study of law and gospel. Christians will constantly say, hey, you now have the power to say no to sin and yes to God. You've been set free from the bondage of sin. Okay, give it a couple of beats. However, you can't be perfect and you'll still sin. Well, wait a minute. That does, that sounds like I'm still, if I can't be perfect, that means then I'm in bondage. Because I'm limited in how holy I can be or how godly I can be. Wait a minute. You just said I can say no to sin. Well, you can say no to sin, but you're you're not. So why am I not going? I can, but I don't want to. What if God has already broken me? If God has broken the bondage of sin, then then are you saying I still have a sinful nature? Because that would sound like it would require our sinful nature to be gone. You have to ask these questions because pastors and churches make claims constantly. This sometimes defy logic, reality, Bible, anything. So here now, it's all a sermon series about courage, and we were just told God gives us the courage. God is the one who gives it. All right. So then I then I should never be a lack. There should never be a lack in my life of it. If God is the one giving it, then I should never be in lack for it or of it. Should that not be the logical conclusion? Slowing our life down a little bit so that we can pick up all the faithfulness of God so that we can notice what God is doing around us. And that in itself builds the courage within us. Okay, now wait, God gives it, but sometimes we have to wait, pick up the faithfulness, see what God is doing around us. Then that builds the courage in us. So God gives it through what we do. And what we do is we have to stop, look around, see what God is doing, and then that will build the courage in us. So God doesn't, does God give it or does God just simply make it available? If we follow a certain steps of a program, then we get it. Like I'm trying to follow the logic here because she said God gives it, but now it sounds like there's something I have to do in order to get it. So does God just make it available to us? I I am I'm I am I don't don't really know. I'm hoping she articulates it because she's clearly made it she's made it clear that courage is like essential to live the Christian life. You're not going to be pure, you're not going to I mean basically you need courage or your Christian life is going to be a train wreck. So I I need to know exactly how I'm supposed to get this courage so that then I can stop all of these sins. Because the reason I sin is just because I don't have the courage to stop sinning, I guess. I'm trying to follow this. So today, we're going to pick up that story again. And those priests are standing in the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. They have been standing there all week long. We left them there last weekend and they are tired of standing in the same place. So we are going to get them out of the Jordan today. So in case you have missed the last couple of weeks, let me just give you a quick recap. The, the um, Israelites have been wandering around in the desert for like 40 years and it, they have finally reached that moment in time where they are going to cross over into the promised land. But in order to get there, 
there is this huge obstacle in front of them. They've got this Jordan River and there is no boat and there are no bridges and it is at flood stage. And so they've got to figure out how are we going to get from here to there? So of course, Joshua goes to God and he says, okay, God, uh, what's the plan? And God says, okay, here's the plan. I want you to have the priests pick up the Ark of the Covenant and they're just going to walk straight out into the river. And Joshua's like, um, that river? And God's like, yeah, that river. He's like, the one that's at flood stage right now? Yeah, that's, that's the one, Joshua. Okay, we got, we got to stop here. Um, I got to look here. Where Does the text say it was at flood, flood stage? And not only that, I mean, 40 years earlier, God parted the Red Sea. But okay, all right. Um, I mean, I know that that generation had died off, but okay. Um, I'm looking, does it say it was at flood stage? Okay, Israel across the Jordan. I'm looking here, I'm looking here. Does it say it was that? She keeps repeating that it was at flood stage. It was at flood stage. It was at flood stage and that it was like dangerous. Uh, see here, spies enter the land, preparing to cross the Jordan. All right. This is Joshua chapter three, verse one. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and they removed uh, from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest of the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way uh, here to fore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come into the brink when you come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that that the that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, uh, the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you, Jordan. Now, therefore, take you 12 men of the tribes of Israel out of every tribe of man, and it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord of the, of, of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters and come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. So the people, the people don't have to walk into the water. It's just the priests have to walk into the water. And when they walk into the water, the waters will part and the people will walk through, quote unquote, on dry, dry land. 
To me, the significance of this is he's trying to demonstrate to Israel, just as I was with, in a sense, your fathers who parted through the Red Sea, I'm going to demonstrate that I'm just with you to demonstrate that my promise and my covenant is still with you, and I'm going to keep my promise. I'm the same God, and I'm going to perform a similar miracle to demonstrate that, to show you that I'm faithful to the promise and to the covenant that I made. But I don't know, like, so the the only people here who I guess would require courage would be the priest, right? They've got to walk into the water. Once they walk into the water, it dries up. Is that not what the text literally says? Um, says, uh, uh, and thou shall command the priest that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you are coming to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So the people will stand there. And it says, shall come to pass as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down. So this wasn't forever. The, the only one who needed courage was the priest, not all the people. All right. And I, I don't know, is this really about courage or is this just about God's faithfulness? Hey, I delivered you from bondage. There was a generation who died off because of their lack of faith and belief, but I am still here. I have kept my promise. And just as I brought them through the Red Sea in a symbolic way, I'm going to bring you through the Jordan, showing you that I'm still with you, still the same God, still the same power, and still keeping my promises. Is this about courage? Now, I know it's constantly preached like, hey, okay, here's how it works. There's times in your life that what you have to do, God is not going to fix the problem. God's not going to part the problem until you step into it. That's how it's typically preached. But the text doesn't say the people had to. It just said the priest had to. Once the priest did, then the waters parted and the people walked through. I know, I know it makes for good sermons. Oh, you're going through a difficult situation? You just walk right into it because God will part it. God will take care of it. But he's not going to do anything until you show your faith, until you show your courage, until you show your bravery. God will not do it. Oh, that preach is good and the people will amen it. And, but whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think that's the, the, the message here. Is more about God demonstrating his faithfulness, not about, hey, God's not going to help you until you step into the Jordan. I, I don't know how we extrapolate that from the text. And it sounds so crazy because you guys, we know the end of the story. We know that. Why would it sound so crazy? Had they not heard of, I don't know, the parting of the Red Sea? I'm sure they had heard that story over and over and over and over again, right? When, when was, I'll just ask you, when was Passover established? Was the celebration of Passover established before this or after this? If it was established before this, then they were already remembering the parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance from Egypt. What? Every year. So like, it was crazy. I mean, they, they had never seen or heard anything like this. Are, are you sure? I, I, okay. I, all right. Look, okay. Let's just listen. I'm, I'm going to stay calm. Going to stay calm. God is going to perform this miracle and that the, the water is going to stop flowing and that they're going to get through on dry ground. And it's going to be one of the coolest miracles in all of the Old Testament. But they don't. 
it's going to be one of the coolest miracles of the Old Testament. Wouldn't the Red Sea parting trump this like a thousand times over? I mean, didn't the Red Sea drown the entire Egyptian army? Didn't all of those miracles and the plagues trump the parting of the Jordan like a thousand times over? And she's almost acting like this. They have never seen the power of God. They had, I mean, wasn't God providing them food? I mean, look, all the things that happened just from the, from the plagues in Exodus till this point, you're telling me that none of those other miracles I mean, God dwelling in the tabernacle. I mean, that, I mean, I don't know. There, okay, okay. I mean, I, I know when we preach sometimes, we, we can, we almost can forget, like, I don't know, the rest of the Bible. I don't know. I don't know. I'm hoping she connects this back to the actual Exodus and then maybe correct this a little bit or walk that statement back a little bit. I don't know that in this moment. They just got 2 million people standing on one side of this rushing river. And God says, just start walking. And that feels crazy. Don't you know? No, he told the priest to start walking. He told the priest. The priest would walk in. The water would part. Or am I misreading that? Are all 2 million people going to walk into the water? that there were some people in the crowd that were just kind of like, is there a option B? Like, I would be very interested in learning. The people are like, is there an option B? Wouldn't they be more concerned with all of the peop- the the other nations in the land they're going to? Would that be a, more, a greater concern or would the Jordan be the concern? Does the people in the text at any point express any concern about the Jordan situation? Wouldn't they be more concerned and doubting God and watching, I don't know, in another generation die off? I don't, I don't know. I, it's like, it's like sometimes when pre, and I, we're all preachers are guilty of it. We come to a text and we have the story and then we just start extrapolating and creating and modifying and, and we, and we turn it into something that sometimes you're like, I don't know if the text had, you preached a sermon. I just don't think you actually preached the text. There is a big, difference. Learning more about that one. But you know what Joshua has going for him in this moment is that he has a whole history of the faithfulness of God. He has seen God up close and personal. He had a front row seat to all the miracles that God has performed on behalf of Israel the last 40 years. See, he was Moses's assistant. And so he was right there side by side with Moses. He walked across the the Red Sea on dry ground. He ate the manna that fell from heaven miraculously. He saw God send fire from heaven and then take it back at his command. So his history had prepared him for this moment. Joshua had seen the faithfulness of God and it gave him. Okay, she's going back to Joshua. Uh, just, just a question, just a, uh, uh, an exegetical hermeneutical question. Did Joshua walk into the water? Or did the priest walk into the water and then Joshua walked with the people across dry land? I'm just going to throw it out there. You can tell me if you, if you, if you, you can let me know. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. I would love to see what you find, but dig into this. Look, look, here's the thing. No matter how 
what, no matter how much you may agree with the sermon or disagree with the sermon, we always want to listen to the preacher, put forth their thesis and put things, but you can always be jotting things down. Now, don't ever do this in a sermon. Start looking it up in the middle of a sermon. Like if you're listening to a sermon and it's really, 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 really bad, don't disrespect the person speaking by back there looking it all up, trying to find the right answer. Just jot down in your notes. Like if I was listening to this and I was in person, I would just write in my notes. Did Joshua step into the water? Did the people step into the water? I'd be just asking myself some questions, right? I'd just be, and I may just write down, read Joshua, you know, chapter four, read the chapter. And I wouldn't do it then. I'd wait till I get home. There's nothing, I just think it's disrespectful when you're listening to a preacher and you stop listening to them to do your own study. I just think that that's disrespectful and you don't want your actions to be basically disrespectful and sinful. Show respect, listen, but then go home and study it for yourself or, or have everyone in the car on the way home grab a Bible and look it up. Not to, not to, not necessarily to say, oh, the pastor was wrong, but just to say, so let's look at the text and see what the text actually had to say. What did the text actually had, have to say? A faith to build upon. And I think this is such a critical point for us in our own lives as we're thinking about this concept of courage and building the faith inside of us. And it's that God's faithfulness is our foundation for courage. God's faithfulness is our foundation for courage. It's right. God's faithfulness is the foundation for our courage. Now, you got to stay, stay with me here. I, I'm very curious where this is going because I'm going to ask some hard questions in a minute. But just remember, she's already said at one point in the sermon, God gives us the courage. So God gives us courage, but then she said, we have to kind of take a minute and then we have to kind of look around. I guess we have to look around and see God's faithfulness. And then that begins to develop courage. Now she's saying that God's faithfulness is the foundation of courage. I'm, I'm very curious. What do you think? What do you think? If she's going to talk about God's faithfulness, what do you think she's going to point to? What do you think she's going to point to? Let, let's see, uh, because, because this be becomes a major philosophical problem, and I'll show you why in just a minute. It's not wishful thinking. We're not just hoping that some cosmic power out there comes through for us. No, we serve a God with a track record, and his past faithfulness is a sturdy foundation for which we can build our... Now, the, the, this is, this is a, a principle that theoretically sounds good, right? It just depends on what you point to. So God's past faithfulness builds up our ability to trust him. His past faithfulness gives us hope, courage, and faith for our present situation. That seems to be the direction she's going, kind of the philosophy she's putting forth. That, hey, when you're facing a certain, when you're facing a Jordan, right? That she's gonna use this, I'm assuming kind of allegorically. But when you're facing whatever, look to God's past faithfulness. Now, that, that sounds good, but what past faithfulness should you look to? That's, that's the, theo that's the million dollar theological question. When it comes to looking to God's past faithfulness to give you a foundation for your courage and trusting God in the present, what past faithfulness should you look to? Right? I think there's two ways of answering it. Let's see which way she answers it. Our faith upon. So the priest, they pick up this Ark of the Covenant and they go first. And they just start walking. And I want you to get... 
Okay, she doesn't answer the question. Let me spend a little, a, a few minutes here trying to take this apart to show you what I mean. Typically in preaching, what they'll do is, hey, when you're, when you're struggling with the present situation and you're fear, filled with fear and anxiety and worry, all you need to do is stop and remember God's faithfulness in your life, all the things he's done for you up to this point, and then you will have the courage to move on. That's one way of looking at it. Another way is remember God's faithfulness in sending his only son to die for you. Remember God's faithfulness in forgiving your sins, adopting you into the family of God. In other words, you remember the faithfulness of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. You remember God's faithfulness in saving you. That's the faithfulness you look to. Some people will, will kind of glance to that, but most sermons point to remember what God has done in your life. But that leads to some major philosophical questions. Let me uh, uh, just take my life. Hmm. God's faithfulness in my life. Raised in an extremely abusive family. Have to get taken, have to live with another family. Oh, my mom dies when I'm a teenager. I go to the hospital uh, she's still alive at the moment. Not much is left. Uh, this all happened suddenly. There was no warning. It wasn't like some long disease. It was tragic. It was horrible. And I spent, uh, wait, 24 hours in a church pleading and begging God for my mom to be healed, pleading and begging that I would get to talk to her. Ple- oh, she died. Oh, then, then I hoped that I would end up with a good relationship with my father and pray. Oh, that didn't happen either. Oh, yeah. Then my father got cancer. Oh, yeah. God didn't heal him either. He died. Hmm. Oh, oh, I, and, and I can go on and on and on. My daughter ended up with a, 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 a connective tissue disease that's horrible and possibly shortens her lifespan. Oh, pray, that didn't go away. Oh, I have a neurological and seizure disorder because of what happened to me in the military. Oh, that didn't go away. People have, people, lots of people have horrible stories. And you say, look to what God's faithfulness in the past. They may go, well, yeah. And then they can tell, that can be very, you got to at least consider that. The one thing I can do, God has been faithful in sending his son to this earth to die for sinners, which we are all guilty of. And he saved us by his grace and by his mercy, I, 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 just, I just think sometimes when we try to look back to our life, it depends on who you're talking to. Some people's lives have, have, may be wonderful and great, but some people have some horrific stories. Stories of children who've been molested, maybe even by people in the church. Women who've been raped. I mean, we can go on and on. And horrible things have happened in the lives of some people. I'm always sensitive to that. Now, you can say, well, God was faithful to them in the midst of the suffering. Well, you could make that argument. You could argue, why didn't God prevent the suffering? I mean, you, you, could, you could go that direction as well. So what do you point people to? Hey, if you need courage in the present, look to the past and how God's been faithful in your life. That person may look to you and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I've gone through a lot, but you can point them to the faithfulness of God and sending Jesus to die for sinners and to the truth and the blessings of the gospel. That, that is very definitive 
objective and certain. You don't know what you're, when you tell people to look into their past, you don't know what you're going to hear. I just think that sometimes sermons are seem to be, sometimes sermons are preached in such a way that everyone sitting in, in the pew came from a good family, you know, a mom, a dad, you know, with a, a white picket fence and a dog and, you know, everything was wonderful and, hey, kids, this this weekend we'll go, we'll go out to the boat and, and catch some fishing and, 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 and catch some fish and do some fishing and, and, and go camping. And yes, mom, yes. Oh, love you. Love you. Everything's wonderful. Everyone's got a smile. Everyone's wonderfully dressed and their lives are perfect and great and wonderful. Sometimes sermon, sermons act like that's the reality of people's lives. But you're, you're dealing with people who probably, who knows who, who've gone through who knows what in their life. I just think it's an interesting concept. Now, but but again, let's uh, let's see how she's going to do this. She's talking now about the priest walking into the water. Let's see if she remains true to the text because she's almost acted like that this is all of us have to walk into the Jordan, but the only people who did in the story was the priest, right? And then everyone else just walked through on dry land. Now you could say it required courage because the water could have come crashing down on them at any time. Okay, now, now if you go that direction, maybe you can make an argument. Let's see what she does. We're not going to finish this, obviously, tonight because we're almost at an hour. But all right, here we go. Get this image in your head with me, what this scene would have been like as it unfolds. Just imagine that you're one of those two million people standing on this side of the Jordan, and you're just watching these priests walk out, and nothing is... If there's two million people, can all two million people see what's going on? Was there like a big, a big screen? I mean, if there's 2 million people, there's got to be people back there who have no idea what's going on up there, right? I mean, if there's 2 million people, but she's like, all 2 million people were crowded around watching the priest. There's no way. There's just no way 2 million people could see that. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Am I being too literal? Well, if we if we believe it literally happened, and if you believe the number was two million, you do have to kind of. I, I don't know if people in the back can see. Okay, I don't. I don't. I don't know. It's changing. Like they're just walking, and they're getting closer and closer to the edge of the Jordan, and and nothing has changed. And you know, in their hearts, they're saying, "Okay, let's have faith. He's done it before. God can do it again." But they're, they're at a crisis moment. They're at that moment that if God doesn't come through, that all will be lost. Okay. They're at a, do you feel they're at a crisis moment here? Do you feel they're at a crisis? Like if this, if we don't get across right now, we're all going to die. I mean, do, do they have an army chasing them? Has God not been providing for them? I mean, what's the crisis here? If it's at flood stage and God doesn't part it, you just wait until it goes back down, right? I'm assuming the Jordan River fluctuates. I'm assuming, I mean, we'd have to do a little bit of reading. I mean, they, they keep telling us it's flood stage. I don't know where they get that. I, I, I don't know how, like, does the text say that? I, I haven't seen anything yet. Maybe there's a text that, somewhere in the text, but if you can find it. So in her mind, like, this is a crisis. This is it. If he doesn't part it, all is lost. What's going to be lost? What's going to be lost? Oh, oh, I guess maybe you're saying like the ark would be lost. Okay. Okay. Ma ma okay. Maybe, maybe you could go with that. I, I, I'm, I don't understand. Like she's painting this like, oh, 
This was scary. Everybody was, oh, what's going to happen? I, I, I just don't know. What, do you get that sense from the text that that's how it was? But you know what happens is as soon as they step foot into the Jordan, God comes through. As soon as the priest, right? Is that how you read it? As soon as the priest, not the two million, the priest. And the water stops flowing. And can you imagine being there on that shore and like realizing what just happened and and the shouts of praise that must have happened and say, oh my gosh, he did it. God did it. He did it again. The water stopped flowing. We're going across on dry ground. Can you believe that we are a part of this moment? God was faithful. And I think it's, it's so amazing that this unstoppable force of the Jordan River stood still in the presence of the Almighty. It's a good reminder for us today, friends, that there is no force that is coming against you in your life right now that is more powerful than the authority of the Most High. There's nothing coming in your life more powerful than God. So God is more powerful than anything that comes into your life. Now, see, this is how churches do things. They preach that but they won't address the philosophical problems that arise from that statement. Hey, God is more powerful than anything that comes into your life. However, you may die of cancer. Your child may be kidnapped. Your child may be molested. You may be raped. You may be murdered. Your house may burn to the ground. You may die at the hands of a dr- or because of a drunk driver. You, you, you may lose your job. You may lose your house. You may have to declare bankruptcy. Your marriage may fall apart. Your kids may grow up and hate you. you I mean, there's a, there's a million things, but God is more powerful than anything that can come against you. Now, we always say that with like giving the idea that, hey, he'll just stop the flow of the Jordan and you'll be able to walk through unscathed. We, 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 we preach it that way without willing to deal with the unpleasant reality. Sometimes the life is, well, not just sometimes, the pain and suffering and ugliness of life is going to touch yours at some point. So then how do you reconcile, well, God is greater than all of these things. Now, I'm not in any way questioning God's power. I'm just saying, whenever you say something like that, you have to deal with the philosophical dilemma that that creates in the minds of anyone listening. Or you would think, I don't know, maybe Christians don't even think that way. I'd be like, ah, wait a minute. Okay, I got some questions here. I got got questions here. I got questions here. I I got lots of questions here. Lots of questions. He is able, he is good, he is faithful. So in- He's able, he's good, he's faithful. Okay, that has nothing to do with what may come into your life, okay? In other words, that, that will not stop some of these horrific things coming into your life. Joshua 3.17, it says, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. You know what God was doing here? It was... Right. The people did not walk into the water. Just the priest. Two million people back 
They get there, there's just dry land. She was like, this is a crisis. They were all scared to death. I, like I, she, what, this, is, this is what preachers do. You've got to learn to decipher this in preaching. We, we, you have the text, and, you, and we have this tendency to make the text, paint a picture of the text that is not, that, that does not consistent with the reality of the text. We got to make it more dramatic. We got to make it this. We got to make it that. We embellish we embellish it, and you're not. We are not to embellish it. You preach the text as it is, even if you don't think it's exciting enough. You leave it as it is. You, it, we're not. We're not to use the text and say, "Hey, the following sermon is loosely based on a true story." We're supposed to preach the true story as it is. Now, we, if we question or if we speculate, we can say that. But for for dramatic effect, we sometimes fall. I've look. Every preacher has fallen into this trap. It's so easy to do. It's not on accident that God was bringing them into the promised land from this point of entry. They were coming in from the east. They could have come in from the south. There would have been no river that would have blocked their access if they had come in from the south. But God intentionally brought them to this place where their back was against the wall, where no amount of strategy or good. Their back was against the wall. How about instead of preaching it that way? How about preaching it as I did for your fathers when I took them out of Egypt through the Red Sea? I'm going to demonstrate my faithfulness to the covenant and my promise and demonstrate that I'm still with you and show you a similar miracle. Did he do this? Your back is against the wall. Well, how is their back against the wall? You've already demonstrated there's another way around. So how is their back? There's no army chasing them. The danger is on the other side of the Jordan, right? So like she keeps preaching this like, oh man, we've got, we, you, the, the, the bomb's going to go off in 10 seconds. You've got to part the, you've got to part the Jordan. I don't know why she, she keeps trying to explain it. Like, man, he, he put them in the worst possible position. I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not reading the crossing of the Jordan that way. Leadership could have gotten them over this river. There was a, there was a place in time where only God could have come through for them. And he brought them to that point because you know why he knew what was waiting for them on the other side of the Jordan. He knew that they were going to face obstacles and enemies and insurmountable odds. And they needed to have something that they could point back to and say, my God came through for me then. And he is able to come through for me now. Okay. I I, I can go with that a little bit. I can go with that a little bit. I just don't think there was some big crises. I do think he's trying to demonstrate to them, I'm faithful, but it's connected with the covenant that he had made with Israel, the promises he had made that he was going to bring them there. And he's giving them this, a similar miracle. His, his, their history with the faithfulness of God, it built up their faith. What I want you to notice, though, is how the people got across the Jordan River. Okay, we'll stop right there. All right, we're going to stop with 28 minutes. We'll stop at the 28. I'm going to put 20, 28, 20, Stacy. 
What we've been doing this evening, if you, were, if you tuned in late, I'm now, what I'm doing right now is dropping everything. What we've been doing this evening is listening to a sermon recently preached by Stacy Woods, the teaching pastor of Saddleback Church. There's news stories talking about this because while well, she's listed as a teaching pastor, even though Saddleback, the former church of Rick Warren, is, uh, uh, well, they're associated, connected with the Southern Baptist Convention. And according to the Southern Baptist doctrine, she should not be called a teaching pastor or serving as a teaching pastor or being a a teaching pastor. Everyone's going to focus on that controversy. What I wanted to do is like, okay, I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to just say, let's, let's see how she handled the text. Let's see how she handled the scriptures. And well, there's been some questionable things here. Um, I'm not going to go back through all of our major issues, but there's some major things that she has said that I don't think the text supports. She's a dr- dramatized things that I don't think are as dramatic as she's paint the picture. She's kind of give us a confusing thing that God gives us courage, but then we develop courage by doing certain things, but she's not really articulated clearly exactly how we get it. But but she has made it clear that without courage, like you need courage, basically, without courage, you're going to end up sinning. And courage is the key to keep you from, from being impure and other sins. Um, but yes, she's really not told us how to get it, even though she's had a conflicted thing about God gives it to us. And then she's thrown out the idea that we look back to God's past faithfulness to give us courage for the present. But she didn't say which thing we look to the past to. Like, do I look back to my life and like, what do I, or do I look to what Jesus Christ, what was done in Jesus Christ? She, she's, and I'll just stop there. You can go through all the things. I gave you a couple of things to kind of look up and see what you can see. She kept saying that the Jordan was at flood stage. She, I don't think she's ever demonstrated that or proved that. Um, And she seemed to indicate that this is like a crisis, that like if they did not cross the Jordan right then, everything was going to be lost. I don't really know where we get that in the text. She keeps trying to paint this picture that like, at first, that like all two million people are watching it, which is impossible. And then two, she almost seemed to make it like the people had to walk into the water, but then she then she kind of acknowledged that when the priests go into the water, the, the water parts. So then she's about, to, I think, about to say everyone passes through on dry land. It's been a kind of an interesting, th- there's a lot of issues here, and we will finish our review tomorrow morning, all right? Your thoughts on this, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We will finish this review tomorrow. We have, well, about 50, I, there's no way there's 52 minutes left in this sermon. There cannot be 52 minutes left in this sermon. My my software is telling me there's 52 minutes left. That has to include, I, I'm assuming there's going to be like a whole bunch of like praise and worship at the end. So there's no, because there's no, I don't know what else she can say for 52 minutes. I don't know, but we'll see. I don't know how much time is left, but we will find out together tomorrow morning. But thank you for listening to kind of a late night episode of the, well, the Theology Central podcast. This will go into our Eye on Christianity series, where we keep an eye on what's going on in the Christian world. And I saw the news articles, you know, about Stacey Wood, teaching pastor, Southern Baptist, and all of that controversy. I'm like, well, let's just review the sermon. Because I I, I was hoping that she would handle the text in such a a, a godly way that even though I disagree with a woman being a pastor, I would still be happy that the Word of God was preached in some kind of in-depth, truthful way. This, I don't know, really, I don't really know what to classify this as, as of yet, but we will definitely find out together tomorrow when we see what she actually does with this text and what she puts forth as, I guess, her 
points. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.